0: Rad Radio presents the Rad Probcast. Get it? It's a podcast hosted by a guy named Rob. So it's a Probcast. Very clever. And now, here's your host, a guy named Rob. My guest for the Probcast is affectionately known to most of you as Producer Brandon, uh, although he's so much more than the producer now, which we alluded to in the Prodcast, which if you're listening to this and you're going, huh? What? Who's Brandon? What? This is part two of Rob and Brandon taking over podcasts, and kind of like most movie sequels, you really need to have heard part one probably to understand a lot of part two. True. Starting with what I want to start with because it, it occurred to me because we're recording these on different days mm-hmm. that we alluded to talking about uh, Brian Palooza. Oh yeah, in the right. in the podcast we, we were talking about events and and how they can be exciting but also overwhelming and exhausting.
1: Yeah,
0: and I know just by mentioning. Brianapalooza in the podcast, which I assume went up on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Wednesday. And I assume we're up on Friday. We are. We've probably gotten a hundred emails by now <laughs> from people saying, and what about Brianapalooza this year? Yeah, yeah. Which is our annual event, the Saturday before Thanksgiving that we did for a decade? Jeez. Of... Um, <laughs>
1: It's crazy to think, but yeah.
0: I know. Of sometimes extraordinary crowds and always great crowds and the last chance to buy our turkey brine and get a whole bunch of people together and have food and all that. And then, of course, COVID. Mm-hmm. And we tried last year uh, in November of uh, 2020. We were, we right up until October, we were trying to figure out the the pros and cons of doing what would be cast as a super spreader event Mm -hmm. and it just it just wasn't gonna work
1: well it wouldn't look good either if we even tried to do it right especially during that time i mean if we tried to do it it, in the spring of 2021 it might have been a little bit more acceptable to them to the majority of people
0: maybe in that two-month window we had of spring that we were talking about on the broadcast may and june when we all got a glimpse of normal Mm -hmm. because you know how it would have been cast since we know what happened in December of 2020 and January of 2021, we would have been called a super spreader event, oh, totally. even though the case is still spiraled out of control without us doing it. Yeah. So the answer to the question is we don't know because we were talking about this on the broadcast about learning to not expect anything. Right. And so we're we're planning on trying.
1: We have things in the works. Really exciting stuff too that and we'd like to do. I, I'd like to. I, I wish we could talk about it. But honestly, do we even know? Like, we could say this week we learned that we picked a venue and we've got all this, these details. Starting to to collect all these these vendors and things that we want to get involved. But you know, in a month from now, there's something that happens where nationwide they deem that the delta variant is then is now the the bad guy um could it just be scrapped that easily yeah just like it was in 2020 and right?
0: that's that's where I I I am so hesitant about what how we do and don't handle I mean in 2020 it was really easy to just say we don't know mm-hmm. but we still don't know right and this is what we've been talking about on the podcast and on the regular show is we're still living in this same cycle. we are talking to a venue. we are talking about plans mm-hmm. and they are very exciting. but we could put it together we could even get you can get as many assurances as you want from people, but if a county or a state or the whole country goes into it, and you know then I, we have to start considering, oh my God, late November is it flu season is uh, <sighs> It's so frustrating. It is,
1: especially when we've got stuff like Aftershock on the horizon. And it's almost like this is the one thing, the one thing that we have to look forward to. And even that, it seems like it's in jeopardy at any given moment.
0: Right. I I mean, Aftershock right now is scheduled to go on. You have to be vaccinated now Mm. or show a negative test. Right. And, you know, masks indoors, which doesn't really matter to Aftershock. But you, you can easily see suddenly masks being required outdoors again, which, big deal, it's all dusty. Yeah. And then you do start to wonder if things continue, which none of this, by the way, would make sense if you compare us to Great Britain. Because Great Britain went through their Delta surge. They're a month ahead of us. And if we're going to be like them, our surge will end in early September. Mm-hmm. But we don't know then what comes afterwards. But if if things get out of control... and we know how this works; We just keep throwing more mitigation at something, and, and it becomes okay, well, now we have to limit capacity right. and how in the world you know, aftershock wouldn't go on then because if you can 't have thirty thousand people, they can't cut out fifteen thousand and make money
1: it, It'd be hard to see them even try to limit that i I could just see people rioting, yeah, trying to, just trying to bum rush the, the gates, it turning into some sort of woodstock situation. <laughs> But, I mean, even if even if something happens and, and they do say that you need to wear masks outdoors for whatever reason, how are they going to enforce that at a place like Aftershock?
0: I have no idea. It would be impossible. I don't even know how, how well they are or aren't. And I've heard mixed stories enforcing these things everywhere, like right. Golden One Center and other venues. Yeah. And, and it, so, anyways, the long and the short answer to start the <laughs> podcast is... Brian uh maybe, maybe not sixty forty. It will happen. Yeah, TBD. That's the best we got for you, <laughs> and probably the week before the Saturday before Thanksgiving. It will still to be determined, depending on where we're at at that point. <sighs> this is the frustration of living in twenty twenty one, which we talked about in a lot of ways during the podcast, and we also talked about your your work with anxiety, mm-hmm. personal anxiety, and and the way you're you're dealing with it. But I had a more general question. Yeah. Because I, I I've always appreciated just with me and you do, you do it on the air too your your candor about being anxious yeah now are you anxious about everything or certain things <laughs>
1: well I, I was thinking about this and I apologize for completely butchering that that whole episode see why do you say that you well, said that after
0: we got done and that's not true th-
1: the reason why I say that is because I have I I am I am my own worst critic and I think that 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 feeds my anxieties but I, I thought about it. More because I and the reason why I feel like I butchered it is because I was way too much in my own head. And I get in my own way. And I feel like I'm the one who's creating these anxieties because I'm the only one who's creating these scenarios in my own mind. And it's some of them, some of these scenarios are based on experience. And maybe it's some sort of um, damage control that I'm doing that I'm running in my mind. But at the same time, I, I feel like, yes, it's a general anxiety that I feel has only been has gotten worse as i've gotten older as i've gotten more responsibilities it's Gotten worse no i wouldn't say worse i would say it's gotten it. it's it's evolved to a different level and i'm learning be- how to better deal with it and 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 squelch it if you will
0: do you know what so other than okay you're getting in your own head and you're creating this mm-hmm. but do you know where it stems from i mean they say all of this stuff comes from our childhood
1: yes there's absolutely some some childhood stuff that i that i'm i i'm sure is is rooted deep in there but i feel like a lot of it stems from my addictive personality and th- some of that is from generational stuff that i've that i've a, a acquired um from from my parents but I, at the same time i i just feel like I care. I, I, see, this is all kind of stemming back to to one of your soapboxes about caring too much. Mm. I care too much, and, and and I need and I and I know that I need to be more Zen like. And and this is the thing is I I've always had this type of Zen mentality, and I still do. But I think it's just because I I'm more concerned about making sure that whatever legacy that I leave behind, I'm doing the right thing. And and I know that I know that that's a little counterproductive because I'm I'm too involved in in what is going on in my mind and I, and, and now I'm just spiraling into this this thought process that that's making me lose my concentration and, and- but
0: you said a couple of things in there that actually lead me to where I was going first of all you said generational although you related it to your parents I mean and again it's all I I, I agree almost all this crap does come from experiences growing up yeah. Um, and then those experiences are reinforced when we're young adults and then oh man that's who we become mm-hmm. um but I was curious if you had if you had a theory outside of your own experience you're a millennial mm-hmm. you're 35 yep. why it is that millennials are seemingly correctly stereotyped as being such anxious people do you is there something that happened that you can think of in your lifetime mm-hmm. that that would explain some of this.
1: Yeah, I, I think, honestly, it's technology. I think that we we millennials, especially those of us in, in my age bracket, and most certainly those of us that w- grew up in a place that w- didn't have access to the latest and greatest technology, that we were slowly introduced into the internet age and the the information uh super highway was not necessarily a super highway it was just a two lane road that we we could slowly start building ourselves up to cuz you
0: were about 14 13
1: yeah like 12 between 12 and 14 is when my fi- family finally got an e machine <laughs> <laughs> and we got those little tiny AOL disks that you know you could you can uh, sample sample the terrible. internet yeah and and it was it was awful. Like, it was 28K. I don't know if you remember. That's, like, one of the slowest speeds you can get. Yeah. And it took me probably two hours to download a Metallica song, <laughs> which I did. I, I One of the original songs that I downloaded off of Napster.
0: Napster, you pirate.
1: I was. And the first song <laughs> I downloaded off of Napster was I Disappear by Metallica. And then, you know, a couple years later, uh, you know, uh, the drummer from Metallica went on to slay them in court. But anyway, um, I feel like it was... I feel like it's there's a level of us being overstimulated by technology that might might have some sort of root into why we're so anxious. Like
0: like some so like there's a it's not a theory. There's a lot of scientific studies that if you fall asleep with the TV on, you don't get sound sleep compared to somebody who doesn't because your synapses never really shut off. Yeah, because the TV's still on in the background. Mm -hmm. So is it some sort of so much screen time that maybe you guys never learned how to turn your brains off
1: yeah and i think that we i think that we always had an idea of how to but because you know we had video games that just that progressively got better year by year and i can remember back when i was a teenager staying up until midnight one o'clock playing video games and not having that proper time to wind down. Um, but of course, we were drinking mountain dew and, and <laughs> eating pop tarts all night as well. But you know, there, there's always that that balance. And I and I am actually learning at 35 that I love listening to books and, and reading. I've been reading a lot more, and I feel like that is actually helping me um, dramatically. Squelch my my anxiety. How
0: ironic if that's the answer that millennials and Gen Zers need to act like old people in order to properly balance out anxiety. <laughs>
1: but, yeah, see, I don't think it's like an. I don't. I see. Now you're being ages because I don't think that it's. I don't think it's an old people thing. I, I really do think that it's. It's more. Uh, 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 it's equitable just being aware and being mindful of being present and and slowing your mind and there's you know med- meditation can get a bad rap because everybody believes that you sit cross legged and you go om and you know and you're supposed to not think about anything that's not the case i think that as long as you can you can be pensive in whatever you're doing and and allow yourself to focus on one thing at a time then you can reach that level of of peace and calm.
0: So when you say this is kind of what I was alluding to when I say act like old people, when you say you're reading more, are you reading on a screen?
1: Uh, you know, not so I I I split my time. So I do audiobooks because I like to I like to listen to audiobooks while I'm like working around the house. I find that it's a lot more um it helps me stay motivated in the tasks at hand because- as long as
0: the voice doing it isn't so annoying remember the seinfeld episode where <laughs> the george costanza voice was yeah. was voicing a book
1: it's so funny that you bring that up Guys i just had a conversation about that with somebody else because that could definitely ruin it it's like when you're watching a porn and and <laughs> and the girl has just got this annoying ass voice and yep. she's getting fucked um <laughs> yes that does ruin it and that's when i go to the digital version um because i have i have a, you know the, the the kindle on my phone so i could just read that way it's more of an ease of access type of thing it's pl- plus if you if you sign up for the subscription on kindle you can get free books and and you just you know basically rent them out but um I have a a library that is quickly growing of just hard copy books because I I do prefer to just read. For, yeah,
0: cuz I do copy. I do wonder I mean if our theory is at all right and I love solving the world's problems with no evidence at all. <laughs> then reading books or magazines would be part of the answer because we're trying to get away from screen time. Yeah. And the endless, you know, cuz sometimes I will just um so, just lay on my sofa and in the dark, just listen to music. Yeah, just so there's nothing you know that's interfering with me other than sounds that I want to hear, music that mm-hmm. I that I want to hear, yeah. and I don't even know how normal that is anymore because everybody's got to be doing multiple things, like listening to a book and this.
1: It's so true. I and I I have found myself becoming more apt to turning off South Park or, or Rick and Morty because those are the, those uh, when I when I watch TV, I'm binging like the most mindless of, of things. And and those ones like cartoons, adult cartoons are one of the best escapes for me. But I am finding that it it's not really doing anything for my mind because I, I, it's mindless. Mm. Um, so you're right. I think that people are, are listening to music or doing things multiple, at multiple, you know, multiple multitasking. Jesus Christ, man. Because <laughs> um, I, I do find myself not retaining the book as well when I'm reading it off of my phone because words with friends will pop up right. or, you know, emails from work are, are popping up. Sorry. And so it's, it's usually <laughs> listener mail that, that's always interrupting me. But there's just like this this never-ending need to make sure that you are in contact at all times with whatever it is outside in the, in the real world. And I it actually affects me. On a personal level, because people, because I'm on the radio, people know that I'm available. People know that they can reach me because they hear me every day. So they think that when at any given time they could just reach out and be like, "Hey, how are you? Why aren't you answering my texts? Well, actually, I have a job and I have a life, and you know, it, so it's it's a it's a balance that I'm I'm learning. That um, I, I just don't like being available all the time, mm. but I have to be for for a certain sect of my life but personally it it is becoming a challenge to create those those boundaries
0: we talked about that on on the Mm podcast a couple days ago about the ability to that they don't know where you are and what you're doing right you you can be at a movie even though you're not right if if it's something you don't want to deal with
1: or i could yeah i could be in a bad headspace that you know doesn't really require an explanation as to where i'm at but there are some folks in my life who i've had to really pull back from because they will give me hell for not being as responsive as they would like them like me to be.
0: Ah, the guilt trip. Oh yeah. Ah, yeah, yes. Quite, quite a few, the favorite move of a mother. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all moms are pros at it. And then a lot of other people figure it out. And, and this actually leads me to the next thing you also mentioned in, in your 1st your are rambling there that you thought you lost track of, but you hey. gave me all these buzzwords. Yeah. Y- you mentioned how you, you, you have this reputation that is, legitimate of having a zen side yeah but i've also seen over the last three maybe five years and we've talked about a little bit on the show i have seen your evolution of realizing and embracing and i think struggling with trying to find that balance between believing that everyone is good Mm -hmm. and realizing that a lot of people are bad and i you've been you've been screwed over that i know of personally by a few people you trusted a lot yeah and it seemed like there was this period where it was almost like not everything it was like every 30 days or every six somebody knew Mm. was screwing you over in a way that that really affected you because you kept giving so much, yeah. just of yourself, even mm-hmm. just of oh this person is great, this person's such a great friend, this whatever, and then boom, yeah. they came in, and it seems like you've done a good job of hardening without losing who you are. How how are you doing with that balance though of when and how you give trust when you talk about you've had to really cut some people or pull people back?
1: I, I attribute that a lot to my my spiritual growth, and and I do realize that i i give way more than i i should um as far as uh like emotional availability and and i'm a giver i i do realize that i am somebody who wants to heal i want to make people feel good i want everybody to get along there's somebody uh, close to me who who recently got a, a a psychic reading and they said that their friend the person who i'm talking about their friend me was somebody who had worked had been a disciple of Buddha and that every life that I've been you know every every recirculation of my life since then has been in servitude of you know of the enlightened ones the buddhas mm-hmm.
0: um I I I'm hearing I'm hearing a voice <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah, yeah, I'm so sure. Right. I mean, it's good for you, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously,
1: you're. <laughs> but you know, and one of my friend at, told me this, and they 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 said, you know, how how would you feel if I told you that this is what I have learned? I said, well, that would actually make sense. And they were surprised that that was my reaction hmm. because I, I do feel that there is some some deep part of me that's always going to find the good in people, no matter what. And I have had to learn those those uh, skills to harden myself to protect myself from the, those moments that, that happen and it's it's uh, it's a struggle for me because I don't always assign the blame to the proper party so if somebody takes advantage of me or or does me wrong I immediately go what did I do mm-hmm. why was it me and that, you know, that that's enough, That's one of those things that I have worked myself out
0: of. Which there's a balance to that, though, because you do always want to be checking in with yourself to see. I mean, we talk about on the show that if you're picking the wrong partner over and over again, at some point it's you. Yeah. And that's is the same thing with friendships. So true. If you're allowing people in over and over again and every one of them turns out to be the same bad choice, right. then it's probably you. Yeah. And it is a hard balance. It
1: never ends. No, it, it, it goes back to the whole generational curse thing. I think that— that we're all we're all preset with certain attributes. We're we're all conditioned at, at a young age to act a certain way within society, within friends, within family circles, and it's it's a matter of deprogramming yourself as you get older, as you become more aware of the world around you. And there, I'm actually reading a book about this. This uh, it's called uh, the the Kundalini Awakening, and it's it's a it's a it's it's basically a um, a school of thought in mist, some mystics say that this is the way that your body finally upgrades to that next level where right? oh geez. where you open up yourself to evolving to the, the, the your true purpose in life and becoming more at peace with yourself um and i feel like there's there's a level of that that's been happening to me or with me that has allowed me to to create that space for people that that i'm that might do me wrong but I won't hold them in that place of well, you're never going to be any good in, in my life. I, I I guess I'm living in a in a place of forgiveness rather than hmm. um, uh, blame. Yeah,
0: that's a good space to be. Yeah, I can't do it, but you know. <laughs> you. Um. So another word, another word you said in there, it, it, what you you passing? You were talking about whatever it is that your legacy that you leave behind. Yeah, reminds me of something. You made one comment in passing on the the regular rad show a couple weeks ago. And not many people picked up on it, but I t- I took note of it. Where you seem to be rethinking the concept of maybe having children.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm rethinking my whole concept of relationships and family in general. And my previous relationships, I was very open. I was I was very sexually driven, and I had this idea that well, if we can all just get along and love each other, and you know why not just share each other, man? I I think that that was one of my uh one of the things that that created a space for those relationships to fail because it, they were open to things that I don't think I was quite ready for um but
0: you went along to get along as it was your nature
1: towards towards the yes towards the middle and the end of that it was all just to oh well we've established this this way of life this way of of thought that th- that's the way it's going to be but after after the the separation happened, I've really gone inward and reevaluated what I think is uh, what makes up a, a good relationship, and and I've had the opportunity to spend some time with some with some friends that um, I've grown to uh, develop deeper relationships with, and without going into too much detail, there have been some kids involved where I've seen the dynamic between uh, the, the, the family unit, which I never really had like, just, just to give a little perspective. My family was, was always a good family, but my dad worked all the time. My mom was a stay at home mom and we didn't really have that, that cohesive, you know, uh, white picket fence, um, you know, beaver cleaver type of type of life where we all kind of got together and, and sat at the the, the the dinner table and, and had a, um, a, a, a cohesive, family unit it was always vacations hardly the first family vacation we took i was probably 11 or 12 and we drove down to to southern california i know wow yeah and like our idea of like doing things as a family was going to cookouts on the weekends or holidays. Um, and Which that
0: meant you went and hung out with the kids and the adults hung out. Right.
1: Yeah. So okay. there were there wasn't really like a huge. I was extremely close with my mom and my grandma, but that was like the the extent of me having like a, a close fan, knit family type of dynamic. My dad and I didn't really have a great relationship until my later teens, early 20s, um, because I don't think that he was quite there and it's probably a lot of the same things that I was going through in my twenties. he was a young dad, right? My, both my parents were eighteen when they had
0: me. Yeah, isn't your dad like my
1: age? He, yeah, well, he's fifty three now. Mm, well, I mean, sorry, yeah. that's my age. 50, no, I know, fifty three, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, so you know, as he got older, he, I think he was having the same kind of revelations that I am having now, um, where I, I do, I, I would love to start a family, and I, and I don't want to like. This isn't one of those selfish things where I just want to, I, I need to have a kid to carry on my crest, to, you know, to, to carry on mother, the family name, to carry on the bloodline.
0: And I, it's not to give a kid what you didn't have as a child.
1: No. And because that's, that's the other thing is I, I don't necessarily feel like I missed out on anything as a child. It was my experience. I would never want to project that onto somebody else, especially a kid. But if, if I could find somebody as cool as me and, <laughs> and, and in a good, at a, a good, spot and you know in life and at the same type of mindset and same type of um, ideology at least the 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 idea the ideology where we could share the growth together if we can make a copy of that i would love to see how that would turn out i would love to see a little me learning what what makes it tick what makes it think how it Grows its, it tastes and music and and life and and movies and food. Like I want to share these kinds of things with a small mind, and I and a lot of this is be based on my experience with hanging out with um, parents that have kids that that I feel that I could see myself doing that. I would love to be a family man.
0: Yeah. And are you comfortable if it doesn't happen?
1: Yes. Yeah. I I'm, I'm something similar to what we were we mentioned in the podcast. Um, you, you you pointed out that I'm becoming more comfortable being alone. That this is so true. I, I I could hermit up all day, <laughs> all night, and, and be completely content. I don't need somebody to help me be fulfilled in life if i don't end up with somebody and we don't end up having a kid i'd be totally fine with that that's just the way that it's going to be
0: and of course the great thing that that women love that we point out is about being a guy is you don't have any type of biological clock (laughs) right Uh, other than how to whatever extent you allow yourself to age properly to where whether you know do you want to be 50 when you're well right now you would be you'd be 50 when your kid was in high school yeah so if you waited another 10 years you'd be 60 Right. But I mean, hey, sixties a new 40 or whatever the hell.
1: And that's just that's just it is I think that we've be, we've come far enough in in science and medical advancements that, you know, I, I don't I'm not saying I'm going to take pills to make me be young my entire life, but I, we do know enough to keep me at a healthy enough state. To still play catch with my kid when I'm in my fifties. Yeah, and you know. I mean
0: you know, two generations removed, my dad's forty years older than me. And he had me when he was thirty-nine. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school throwing ninety mile an hour fastballs to him, he was older than I am now. <laughs> wow, and that was crazy. then. That's... So it, a lot of it is right, mindset genetics and yes. and, and taking care of yourself. Yeah. Um we we uh we alluded to this. On the podcast, but we haven't we haven't spent much time getting into the fact that uh, I introduced you as being affectionately known as producer Brandon because mm-hmm. that was your title for so long, and people still know you by that name, and we still call it the podcast because branding. Um, but you're, you're operations manager of Williams Broadcasting, yeah, and well,
1: that wasn't the case when we started the podcast. Um, I that's was true. just I was still a lowly producer that was four years ago. So it was just in within that four years that that has changed,
0: and so and and there were a few different reasons for that including elevating your stature within we have a very small staff but somebody else needed to be in the position of if i'm saying it then it's rob approved kind of thing yeah and it also started to put you in the position of of more directly managing people Mm -hmm. and you went through one phase and then things changed and then came a weird dynamic and now you're really experiencing managing Kyle and Queenie, mm-hmm. in, 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 in it's and it's, it's an interesting dynamic because the show every day, Dawn and I are in our own room, and the three of you are in your own room. We've created this rad kids persona with the younger generations and the boomers and, and such, but you are tasked with at times being the guy that says, hey, guys, or mm-hmm. hey, you, How how are you doing with that?
1: Honestly, if you asked me this last month, I'd say, oh, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm still working it out. I, I don't feel like I've found my voice yet. I feel a little off off balance, off kilter. This isn't really my thing because I didn't get into this job honestly thinking that I would ever be a manager of people. Even before I started working for you, I was I was in a promotions uh, department type of, of facet that I was overseeing interns. But it was such an easy uh easy modality to, to work with those kids. And I was still close enough in age where it was more of a peer type thing, but I, I had no idea that I would get to this point. And I, honestly, when you first gave me the the task of being operations manager, deeps out deep in my, in my mind, I was thinking, Oh crap, I'm way in over my head. I, I don't know if I could do this, but uh, honestly I just pushed that, pushed that aside and said, whatever, let's do this. I'm, I'm in balls in balls deep. Let's go. And, now that I've been coached by you over the last many months um, on on how to be a better manager, I feel I feel very confident in in my ability in being one and continuing to grow as one over time. Honestly, I I, I love it, and I'm not I'm not saying that because I love controlling people or telling people what to do. I would rather not. I would rather just be a very hands off. I don't like to micromanage. I'm, I'm learning a lot of that from from you, but
0: yeah, boy, did you have to let go of some of that, especially when you brought Kyle on.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, and a, a lot of that is stems from like this PTSD that I I have from from working with other producers. Um, one in particular over the last couple of years that that just made my life really hard. And and so without without having that previous experience with with somebody like kyle who is brilliant he's he's a brilliant young man like he's got the he's got this young naivete to him but he's he's really intelligent and enthusiastic which helps and that right there i think the the intelligence and the in the enthusiasm helped me finally take a back seat but it was like pulling teeth like most things like i i i have to i'm more of the guy who'd be like okay so this is how you do it Oh, you know what? Just get out of the way. Let me do it for you real quick. <laughs> and it was like that for the first couple of of months, really when I was training Kyle. And then once I finally stopped being so hard on him, allowing him to make the mistakes and learning for himself to pull them out, pull out of it, it it really it, it he blossomed. And it not only did did he blossom, but we both did in a sense of we we kind of found this niche of teamwork that I don't think could have happened unless I just got out of both of our way,
0: right yeah. and well and and that whether it's by accident or this is one of the appeals, you and I both manage that way mm-hmm. it is the the ideal management style is go fly free, and when you crash into a wall, I'll be here to either catch you or tell you why, because neither one of us wants to be telling people what to do in meetings Ugh. um it's exhausting it it is, you and we will do the fun stuff right it, it, it's and and that's why when you said you know it's not about wanting to control people mm-hmm. that that's absolutely not it there, right. there's an element of that that has to exist it's really more about what you're describing that you see people actually grow and blossom mm-hmm. under some form of your tutelage or, or, or guidance mm-hmm. and the funny thing is you know you said when you very first stepped into the management role you thought you were in over your head it reminds me of a story my my mentor um, the best general manager that i ever worked for told me the he said when he was when he became a general manager of a radio station for the very first time so he'd been a sales manager Mm -hmm. and he'd been a salesperson, but when you're the general manager everything is on your shoulders Mm -hmm. that's the only person more important than you is the owner in this particular company you are responsible for the entire property so if you're a general manager in reno everything that happens on rock 104.5 and every other one of the stations that that company owns it's all on you Mm -hmm. and the owner asked him do you think you're ready for this job and my, my mentor made some type of, you know, politically correct comment like, well, I've been working towards it all my career and I've been a manager. And the owner said, no one is ready for that job. Right. The first time, right. once you've done it and you said it now, now you've managed for a while mm-hmm. and then you start to build your confidence and you go, OK, now would you be ready to tomorrow do what
1: I do? Probably not. No, but you'd be more comfortable and confident. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I, I've thought about. It's funny that, that you're you're bringing this up because I I just started the the book 2034.
0: Oh, did you get that from me? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I've um, mentioned it a few times. Yeah,
1: and and I, it's it's outstanding. But there was something in the beginning of it where they were describing uh, one of the commanders of one of the battle, one of the naval ships and how they had the the lives of 300 people on that ship under under their their belt that they were watching and I, that that put things into perspective and mm-hmm. to think about those commanders out there that are leading troops that those lives are in their hands it's like well i can handle two people at a radio show <laughs> you know and, <laughs> it, and it's but it, it is also just so so evident of of the, the 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 abilities that we have as humans to be able to lead and it it's really not that much, it isn't that much harder to, to, you know, face that kind of stuff other than, you know, normal stuff in life.
0: So, and by the way, should mention it. So 2034 is a book written by two, long term in the depths of it intelligence and military people who basically lay out it's a fictional book but it, it it's it's meant to say this is what's going to happen in 13 years mm-hmm. uh and 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 without ruining it for everybody it is the stark reality of how exposed America is to attacks and vulnerabilities, particularly from China. Yeah. And how are you're, How far in are you?
1: Uh, just a couple of – I'm only a couple of chapters in. And already in. you can feel it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean the fact that they have remote control over our F-18s mm-hmm. and, and they're shutting down communication, like basically doing a, the fire sale um, that you'd see in, in Live Free or Die Hard where they're just shutting everything down in the government is – pretty fucking scary but also not that far-fetched and that's and the the thing that's scary is not only is it not far-fetched but
0: that that the two people that wrote it Mm. were are so entrenched in their lives and their careers that you go what do these guys really know yeah they have to write it as fiction otherwise they're violating every protocol of national security and all that but is this kind of like when oj wrote the book if i did it right where they're telling us what's going on well
1: it's really interesting is they actually bring up um there that there, there were certain policies set in place um years prior to 2034 based off of the covid pandemic and like they, they wrote this book so close to and and whatever what what's going on right now um so I wonder if they like went back
0: yeah. after
1: like before they published a book to be like hey let's let's throw this in there to, ma- to to make it seem like it's more relevant and also super topical so that they could say hey we, we they built these these uh, policies around, uh, you know, foreign policies around the pandemic.
0: That thing you bring bring up though about like having three hundred sailors, you know, responsible. Mm-hmm. That that is something that if you're if you're a good manager, I mean, that never goes away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember. A couple times in my career when we had to change formats of radio stations and you know, it's the right thing to do, but you also know your job is safe, but 10 people are going to get fired yeah. because they don't have a place. When you go from country to rock, for example, it's like, well, the, the, they don't know. They can't. And I know when COVID hit, cause we were talking about that during the prod the prod cast. Mm-hmm. this is the broadcast. See, very important. <laughs> um, I mean, that was, that was the weight on me was, Oh God, I've got to carry this. I've got to figure out how to carry this team. All of us together mm-hmm. through this. And it, it do, it weighs on you even when you're as confident as I am and, and was, cause you see, you saw everybody else collapsing mm-hmm. and laying people off. And, and we did have to, uh, um, we had to tighten our belts. Yeah. I basically had to suspend bonuses or profit sharing, whatever you want to call. Fortunately, that's all I ever had to do. Yeah, and then we actually started to thrive, and we came out of it pretty well. But it, that's it. It never goes away that feeling.
1: I often think about how how you handle that because I know that you, you pro- likely lose sleep over certain things. You know, payroll over the years. I'm sure there has been instances that oh. we never will know about um, that you've lost sleep over. But I, I often think about that. But at the same time, like I I, I don't necessarily lose sleep because I think that this, that speaks more to the trust that I have for you as, as a leader, because it's it's almost like, well, well, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. He's a smart guy. He wouldn't lead us astray mm-hmm. because I do know that, you know, despite <clears throat> your. You, you might not like people so much. You love your team. And so it's easy. It's easy for me to just kind of be like, well, no, he's got it handled. But I do think about how you how you might handle that. Well, and- see, that's that
0: never ending thing, though. Yeah. So I know that. And it's not just you, Don. Certainly the three the three of us. I mean, we're 16 years in if we count you and Don and I 30 years. Right. So that level of trust puts even more responsibility yeah. on me. Yeah. Um, and and then it keeps going, it keeps bouncing back and forth. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a great thing to have. And, and it's funny because when COVID hit and, and things were so just out of control, and I, I was able to remain very focused and calm and, and do that thing that we've talked about where I remembered everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there were sleepless nights and there were, there were days as I was plotting our path forward where I didn't know exactly how bad or good it might be. And what's so funny is, and and I say this only as a lesson because otherwise it just sounds so ridiculous. It's a year later and I have, I have, I was telling my wife the other day, I've never had between our company and then what we've accomplished personally, Christine and me, I've never had this much financial success. Wow. It's and it's and so cool. and we're seeing that with more profit sharing more often and it's it and and also this extraordinary project that you and I are so excited about that we're investing in um that we I was just right before we recorded this I was on a call about it okay. and it's basically it's moving to the next level wow. and it's it, it's we couldn't do it if we weren't where we were yeah. and it's going to be so good for us for the show for the audience and all of this it's like if you would have told me this a year ago right I, I would have been wow! I can't wait to see how I do that. Yeah, I would have believed it, yeah. but I wouldn't have quite understood how I was going to get there.
1: That's so that's so great to hear because I I know that you've you've had success from a from a young age. You bought a house in your early twenties. Twenty two, and I, I haven't even got to that point yet. But I also I I I pissed away a lot of my twenties. I did not plan ahead financially, but I I do I I'm, I'm taking solace in the idea that i do now have a fresh start that i'm i'm i have a fresh perspective and i might be in debt and i might have some things that i that i'm cleaning up from my past but i i i have something to look forward to and and i'm not so scared about getting out of it because i believe in what we're doing and i believe in my work ethic that i feel like i can get there and to to hear you say that you know at, at your age that you're you're seeing the most financial success you're you're seeing is so inspiring.
0: Well, I, I I was noticing again back to management isn't about control; it's about sometimes pride and 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 seeing other people grow. I was noticing because of things you're going through. I've been having to send over payroll reports to you, and I was like, "Damn, <laughs> he's doing pretty
1: good this year." Yeah,
0: because it's not really it's not really based on you know I, the way we do things. It's not oh, it's exactly this number because it's all. I share as much as we can from the company. I'm like, Oh, that's cool to see at this point in the year. Oh my gosh. Uh, And which is not my way of saying, Brandon, tell me I'm paying you so much. It's just, (laughs) I'm like, that
1: is so cool for Brandon. I I do have to say (laughs) that I'm very fortunate and I, I I do believe that I've earned it at this point, but absolutely the the numbers that, that I'm seeing are not adding up to the numbers that I want to be seeing on, on my end. You know, like I, it's coming in, but it's not staying where it needs to be sure. and and i love the fact that you're doing these money money buys happiness um series is on on the podcast and and having shelby elias mm. lined up with the show has been huge because it, it not only excites me about the idea of getting my financial wealth health all in order but it, it it's it's Feasible? It's it's possible. It's not. I'm not lost. You know.
0: No. And you look you look at a guy like Shelby, who I just played golf with and got to know a little bit better. Um, he's two years older than you. What?
1: And that dude's no flying
0: around on private jets. Oh my god. And he owns all these homes. I mean, look, that guy is a, a level above me, if not or if not ten. So then he's twelve years younger than me. It's, it can be done. And yeah. he's got a, a, a family, mm-hmm. and he genuinely seems to like. I mean, he's not that fake dad. He right. loves his family. Yeah. So it. it yeah, you're, and the other thing is, and it's not the right way to go through life to compare yourselves to others, but you're still ahead of everybody and be thinking about that
1: stuff. Yeah, I know. And, and a lot of people point that out. Like, I always say, oh, well, you know, I, I just care. Well, some people point out, well, at least you care. Right. Like some people don't even care. And, and, I, and I know that I also need to learn how to, like, this kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning about trusting people and, and wanting those around you to have your best interests. Like, I, I feel like I've held back on getting a guy a guy to do my books, uh, you know, somebody, (laughs) because I haven't, I haven't been able to be that trustworthy or that vulnerable. My separation has taught me a lot about vulnerability because you have to disclose everything. That's so painful. It is not only painful, but there's not like, there's nothing that, that can be done to me now, but there, I'm sure there are things that, you know, the other party might see and go, hmm, what was that about? you know but there's nothing like i said there's nothing that they they could do but the fact that i have to disclose all this stuff is very like i feel naked
0: oh yeah no when i when i went through my divorce when the phrase forensic accountant came up i went pardon me that
1: what butt pucker moment
0: oh right there and it was as bad as you expect which it's i guess it's supposed to be um Teaches you a lesson. It
1: should be harder to get married than it is to get a divorce. Like the process should be reversed, in my opinion. I feel like you should go all through all the hoops that you go through to get a divorce. At least, find it like you pay a lot more to get married. Than Which I wonder
0: if that's if if people because I've never gotten this one. I wonder if that means people that do prenups have it all figured out.
1: You think? I yeah, well, know. I mean, because they then then they can't. You don't have to disclose your stuff, right?
0: right? Which I've always thought prenups were a way of saying we. I don't really trust this, right? It's a safety net, but maybe <laughs> that's an interesting. Perhaps that's a future podcast. Hey, there you go. So, um, I was trying to figure out this what what to ask you specifically on this one without like to make it as specific as possible. So mm-hmm. This is what I came up with since you've been around me for sixteen, seventeen years. And you were talking on the podcast about this being the most enlightened version of me, yeah, okay. So what's the most angry you've seen me
1: <laughs> uh, or uh, and or the worst you know it's it's hard to it's hard to look back on the I look at it as each year as like a revolution or a generation of the show because it's almost like it's it's had its own iteration through each cycle. Um, even like breaking it down toward, to all the different lineups that we've had and different, um, different cast members that we've had come and go. Um, it's hard to go back and, and really, I wish I just had like a timeline, you know, (laughs) so you can like look at it and go, Oh yeah, that at that point at that time, that's how things were. It's so weird because it's all such a blur to me, but I think the angriest you were was when you had your back issues. Oh. Yeah, I think that when you were going through through that, and wasn't that around the same time that it was you were in your previous relationship before your marriage? Was that around the same time?
0: Yeah, so that was I was still I was either coming out of or or wrapping up the divorce while being in. A new long-term relationship. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I feel like that. And I don't think that that was what attributed to it, but I'm just trying to think of like you know the, which generation we were we were right. in. Um, I feel like that's when you were you're angry. It's just because you can you couldn't control it. You couldn't control the pain, and you were. I think you were just more frustrated with not being able to do your day to day. That was and, awful. Yeah. Cool. Uh,
0: um, and the the drugs didn't help. No, cool.
1: I. But I do. But that isn't
0: is, that more like a. Wasn't that more like. This is the way I experienced a baseline of anger. Like I was just always on the verge of being pissed as opposed to me exploding. I know I've exploded on you a couple times, probably not in what, five plus years. Well,
1: no, you, 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 you exploded on me in December, rightfully so. Well, I, I that was, that was a huge, although it was a different way of exploding on you. But that was a wake up call that I needed. Okay. And so thank you. But. Uh, there uh, there's one thing that I remember vividly. It was, we were just in the building, this building we were in now. So it was probably about 10 years ago. You pulled me and the former producer Christy in and it was, there was something about a website thing. There was like a promo uh, slide that was on the website that was outdated. Right. And you literally, you, you, you say, get in here now. And, and we sit down on the table and Christy and I are both looking at you like, Oh my God, what do we do? Mm-hmm. You slam your hand on the table and you go, what is this still doing up here? And that that was, I think, the first and last like real angry moment that I've seen. Now, there have been other instances where I've seen you angry, but not at me, mm-hmm. which has been more fun to experience. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you're not an angry person, so it's it's hard to like find those moments. And whenever it is, when you're pissed, it's rightfully so. Like there was the customer service issue that we dealt with on the show not oh, too long ago, God. that not only made it wiggle but made me like like little tremble just a little bit. Like I I I, I felt for that person that you were going after because mm-hmm. I know the wrath and I don't want to be in that position. Well, know?
0: and I you know what I've found in this enlightened phase is when I mean it's just it it's it, it's cringe worthy to relive that moment you're talking about because it, it, in this state I'm like. Yeah, okay, big deal. You know, an, an outdated slide or whatever. But yeah. you got to or I had to go through that process because when you release all of that stuff mm-hmm. and you're able to properly recognize this is a reason to be angry, it's it's not pent-up rage mm-hmm. that that comes up. It's well, I haven't really gotten angry in a while and this is a reason to really be pissed and now I get to really target all of this at this particular entity, person, whatever it is, that's that's doing us wrong.
1: Yeah, it, it's a discipline that sometimes you you just want to release that pressure valve. Yeah, because yeah, I, there there was a lot of moments last year where I was super angry and I I acted on that anger, um, but and I regretted it because I know that it didn't really serve any good in that moment. But it, it yeah, but you
0: tend to go inward. It seems like, <laughs> and and to where and what you do is. Like, like I, I just think about the second half of 2020. It's more stomping your feet, slamming doors. You're clearly pissed, but you know, and maybe you're maybe you're a little snappy, but you don't
1: necessarily snap. Yeah, because I don't want to. I don't want to put anybody else out. Yeah, it's always going to be my thing. But like boy, I, you let people know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's 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 more of a. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put you out, but you just got to know. <laughs> I'm not in the best of places. <laughs> Um, but I will, like, it's absolutely like something's going wrong, something I'm mad at, I will beat myself up. Mm-hmm. I'd rather direct that anger at me because, you know, I, there's a level of me that's a pussy that, that doesn't like dealing with confrontation. But I'm learning that healthy confrontation solves a lot of problems and, cre- and, and clears things up a lot quicker.
0: So does uh, honesty and transparency hey. and the ability to say, I'm wrong. This is wrong. We screwed up.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how I come to peace with my separation because I I, I will sleep soundly every night knowing that I did everything that I could, but also admit to all of my wrongdoing and that I don't hold anything against the other person at all because the same thing. You know, they did their wrong, but they also did a lot of good things. And you pointed out yesterday that, you know, there were a lot of good things about my my marriage. And mm-hmm. that's true I there. Were, I took away a lot of great lessons and, you know, there it wasn't all bad. But when it was bad, it was bad. And so I, I've learned from that. And I, I've come to terms with that and I'm, I'm okay.
0: And the other thing that applies not necessarily to, to your relationship, but it can apply to relationships is that back to my mentor. And I've said this on the air before. He always said he learned the most about management from the worst managers that he worked for. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the worst relationships you're in, whether they're friendships or anything else, wind up teaching you later on, oh, I recognize what this is and I don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Or here's what I'm doing that I used to do with that person that doesn't. Because sometimes we make future people old people, right? You, can, oh, yeah. I, I can make my wife an ex mm-hmm. at times, mm-hmm. um, or my mother. and that's, that's on me.
1: Right, you're projecting your experiences onto yeah. them based off of how you react, and usually it's emotionally. And they're, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. I think that a lot of the relationships that I'm developing now, which are a lot fewer than what I've had in the past... Because, you know, when you when you go through breakups or, you know, you friend, you lose friends over over the years, but you also realize what's more important in life as time goes on. So it's easier for me to be like, you know what, I want to focus a lot more energy on these people because I will I'm finding that it's much more fruitful in in those engagements, you know, and I, I, I am so lucky to be where I'm at now to be to have such a wonderful group of people in my life that are fostering that and and showing me that it's i can still be loved and love others it's a great lesson
0: it's fun to watch as yeah. well so good keep it up thank you for doing this thank you and uh, we'll return back to whatever podcasts and probcasts are after we've taken over each other's shows uh next time on the Propcast. <laughs> Did you enjoy this episode of the Rad Probcast? Send an email to rad at radradio.com. A new episode of the Probcast premieres anytime Rob feels like doing one.